0: This is Sergei Kravinov, Craven the Hunter, and you are listening to Spectacular Prey Radio. If you don't listen, you will be the next prey I hunt.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the Spectacular Spider-Man!
2: Face it, Tiger.
3: We just hit the jackpot. Otto Octavius was weak. Call me Dr. Octopus! From, from on, we're Poison to Peter Parker, Parker and Spider-Man, Spider-Man. we're Venom! Green Goblin doesn't take orders from insects. The Green Goblin swaps them into oblivion! Oh, you better not get your goop in my hair. Spider-Man, threat or menace? Someone is so getting the look. Tell me there's something better. Go ahead, try.
2: Welcome back to The Spectacular Radio. I am Zach Joyner, executive producer of com, And as always, we are joined by our wonderful host, Mr. Greg Bishansky, who is going to introduce our panel this month.
1: Joining us is, as usual, the, the story editor and supervising producer of the show, Mr. Greg Wiseman.
4: Hello, glad to be here.
1: And we are very happy to introduce the associate producer of the series and the voice of Craven the Hunter, Mr. Eric Vespit. Good to be here. Jennifer L. Anderson was going to join us, but she's away at war fighting pirates and knights and things, but we all <laughs> miss her. <And> I know <laughs> we all miss her, and she hasn't been on the show in a while, but I know, but Eric, I know she worked under you on the show, and she always spoke very highly of you.
0: Yeah, um, I love Jennifer. So, she was great.
1: She is great. So, Eric, we always ask this question of our new guests. What is your superhero origin? How did you get into the biz, and how did you uh, get into Spider-Man?
0: I went to the University of Michigan uh, in the early 90s, and uh, while I was there, um, a guy named Steve Shabosky, uh, who wrote a book in a film called The Perks of Being a Wallflower. It's one of his most recent things. He also wrote the... Uh, The screen adaption for Beauty and the Beast, the live-action film. Anyway, his first film uh, was called The Four Corners of Nowhere. Um, He shot it in Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1993 uh, when we were all um, you 20, 22, and too dumb to know that you can't really make a movie for $80,000 and hope that it goes somewhere. Uh, But we were lucky enough to make it into the Sundance Film Festival, um, and in 95, uh, I was living in New York as a struggling actor and, um, and working at Blue Man Group, which was the one cool thing about New York at the time.
2: Um,
0: um, yeah, I got to throw marshmallows and s- squashed bananas and stuff for a living. It was fun.
2: Um, <laughs> living the dream at that point, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Went out to the Sundance Film Festival uh, in '95, and uh, quite frankly, was a movie star for ten days. It was really, really, really fun. Um, shot pool with Sam Jackson, sold drugs to Tim Roth. Um, sold drugs. Uh, oh. got, mo- <laughs> <laughs> got got mocked by Parker Posey. Uh, yeah, it was fun. Um, and uh, the film the film did well, but then was bought by a company that uh, decided to put it on its shelf because they had a similar film coming out and the film never really made it to anywhere um that being said it was the first film shown on the sundance film festival uh channel the sundance channel um and it played there for about a year uh so we do have some some internet fans here and there that that reach out to us every once in a while um and you know someday the film may come out wonderful so we'll see Anyway, that led to me moving to LA and trying the working actor thing for a while, um, and I I did that for a bit, but just found that it didn't really um, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, I was one leg up on every other actor in this town um, because you know I moved to town with an agent and with somebody pushing me and all that kind of stuff. But um, I come from the Midwest, and the idea of not having a paycheck. Really started to drive me crazy.
2: Um,
0: I just I was kind of a nervous wreck, and and so when every audition means whether whether or not you eat, um, it just didn't suit my psyche very well. So um, I was lucky enough to uh, meet somebody who she was a lawyer at an animation company, um, and they needed a driver. And she knew that I was interested in getting into animation, um, as I put it, to to get on the other side of the camera, and I I just wanted to learn what this town was about, um, because that was one of the biggest hindrances when I was doing the working actor thing, is I I just didn't understand anything. I was 25, straight out of Michigan, with a quick detour in New York, um, and I just made a lot of mistakes, so... Got a job for uh, New World Animation at the time, uh, which was doing all of the Marvel stuff at the time. Um, my first show was The Incredible Hulk, um, starring Lou Ferrigno as the animated Hulk.
2: As, as it should be. I, mean, the natural-
0: I remember that show. <laughs> so anyway, I, uh, but it was, it was a really good experience. I learned a lot. Um, my hope was that it might also lead into voice, voice acting. Yeah. Um know kind of a backdoor working in production might lead into voice acting and uh and it turned out it did i I had a, a small role on that um incredible hulk show i played a farmer defending his daughter from um from the hulk um and but through the course of that year and a half uh i really fell in love i really fell in love with with making cartoons and being surrounded by creative people uh Day in and day out, working really hard um, to get something on air. It was this was back in the day of film when when animation was still shot on film, um, and uh, it, it was it was it was just a great learning experience. Um, from there, I went to Sony. I worked on extreme Extreme Ghostbusters, um, a little bit of Godzilla. Then I went to Universal and worked on the Woody Woodpecker show and. The Mummy animated series. Um, I remember that um, that show. Our second season was um, supposed to have been uh, so. So the the kid in that show for second season goes to a uh, combat training camp in Afghanistan, um, and we had written God, I think nine scripts. And then 9-11 happened, and we learned about these terrorist training camps in oh, Afghanistan. No. And uh, it was a massive uh, ordeal to rewrite the entire second season and, um, with a whole whole new take. <laughs>
2: yeah,
4: I um, so. yeah. I wrote one episode of The Mummy, I think, uh, with uh, a time travel episode, I think.
0: Oh, right on. Mm-hmm. That was that was a that was a cool show. Our art director was learning to play the bagpipes, and so he would walk around the studio uh, at any random hour in the day, blowing this the the the, the, the just the whistle part oh, no. um, to to practice his, his lip uh, movement, and it um, it was so loud. Um, <laughs> it was it, it just it was so loud. But he was such a nice guy, Eddie Hutchins, such a nice guy. Um, and so, so Greg, th- no one really minded.
2: Soon? <laughs> Greg Wiseman? Gonna learn He's the- just shaking his head. Uh, He's just- I just I was asking if you were going to learn the bagpipes anytime soon for those guys on Young Justice. <laughs>
4: uh, I. We're
2: going to have to survive without bagpipes, I guess. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to jump on you, Eric. I just had to ask that. Oh, it's all
0: good. Um, I took a couple of years off and did sound effects. I moved to Philly and uh, worked at a, a recording studio for a while. Um, uh, and then came back to LA. I missed animation. I missed goofy, goofy people surrounding me all day long and interacting with them. From there, I went to Nickelodeon, uh, worked on the X's, um, and then Cat Scratch. Uh, and then I jumped into primetime for a while. I, uh, worked on Family Guy in its fifth season, um, working in retakes. And that's when I really, uh, I don't know, blossomed if you will. Um, because working in retakes, you have to do everything. Um, you've got, especially on the on the prime time. You've got a really big budget um, for retakes. So, what might have taken you know nine months to make one episode, you now have six weeks to redo a whole bunch of scenes, and you're you're just kind of a little one man band. It's you and one retake director, um, mm. and you work as a team to. N- bang out a whole bunch of scenes um, in just a short period of time Um, so uh, I learned a lot uh, working retakes on Family Guy Uh, and then after a season of that um, I got the call from Sony again from from Diane Crea um, that she was putting together Spectacular Spider-Man and I jumped over to be her associate producer
2: and then met Greg and how did you get cast as Craven?
0: Greg and I were, in my memory, Greg and I were driving back from a record and shooting the shit and talking about uh, uh, our, our past experiences of being young actors when we, when we first got out here. Um, and just had a really, you know, it was a really fun lunch and uh, telling crazy stories about young actors and the trials and tribulations of all that. So I went back to my office and I'm, you know, probably plugging away at some spreadsheet about how we're going to pay for something. And then um, Greg peeked his head in my office and said, by any chance, can you do a Russian accent? And I responded, uh, <laughs> um, uh, which, which means I studied Russian in college.
2: Uh, you know. That's
0: perfect. Yes, as a matter of fact, I can. Uh, <laughs> nice. Mm. Um and he was I think just cracking that episode for the first time and and pitched it around and i I auditioned blindly and and got the gig greg and
2: you were
1: all, yeah, and you were awesome at it. Zach you had a question for Greg?
2: yeah, I was going to say your recollections on 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 casting of Eric is that was there anything on from your end that was different uh,
4: no, I mean that 's pretty much how I recall it i mean I'm, uh, uh, I probably recall even less. <laughs> <I'm not laughs> um, but, you know, the main thing is that, I mean, just listening to the guy's voice, you know, so I, you know, at that point I knew he had acted, was an actor, and um, and I thought, you know, we need this sort of, you know, we need chops like that for, for Craven. Um, so the only, like, question in my mind was, you know, can he do the Russian thing? And then it was like, yeah, as a matter of fact, he can. So, so like, okay, well, that, uh, that seems like kismet. And uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, got to get, um, uh, well, Vic, Cook um, and, and most important, Jamie Thomason to sort of sign off. I feel like uh, you and Jamie worked together on it Uh, quite a bit uh, before the first the first episode I don't know about this one that we're talking about today but uh, before the first one I feel like uh, you guys got together and sort of worked out the character in advance and that kind of thing that's
0: exactly right right. yeah that's exactly right yeah he um, Jamie's big thing was because I have a a very big voice I'm also a singer I sing with the Pasadena Master Chorale um, uh, and uh, Jamie's big thing was getting me to work the mic um, very subtly. You know, Craven is very. There's a lot of it's very. You know, be 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 in and dark and inside yourself and let that let that carry the emotion and, and take it forward. He you know he's only shouting in combat. Otherwise, he's he's very. Um, you know, he's—he has a, a gravitas and a power that is not—not not because of volume. It's just because of who he is and his natural growl, his instinctual growl.
1: This is definitely true, and I can vouch that you have a very powerful voice. I mean, I heard it in person. I heard you perform Craven when at the last gathering of the gargoyles in that radio right. play. I had a small role in that playing myself, that was, and I—that it, was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I think he even had a small line as Norman Osborne at the end of that.
0: <laughs> I, I only, yeah, I think you're right because uh, because uh, Osborne couldn't make it, so yeah, I think you're right.
1: Alan Rakin, let's bring him into yep. the convention to do one line. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they brought him in to do an episode of the show to say one word. As <laughs> <laughs> <Unless> I recall, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a few, eventually, but. But yeah, it was just really cool hearing you perform Craven in person. And I also have to say your story kind of speaks to me because I went to film school. I graduated film school with honors, and I never even got one job interview, but it was also a reminder to just keep going at it, to keep trying, even all these years later. Because I was going to film school at the time, Spectacular Spider-Man was in production and on the air, I have very clear memories of this, and you mentioned work on Family Guy, I've got a little bit of a connection there that met, that happens to coincide with Spectacular Spider-Man I was flying home from on winter break, this is a couple months before Spec Spidey premiered, and I was sitting next to this woman who worked as an editor on Family Guy, and I said, I know a couple people in the business, I mentioned Greg Wiseman, and that he was running a Spider-Man cartoon Spectacular Spider-Man for Sony and she said, hey, my fiancé works on that Ben Maloney Oh wow, right on small world
0: <laughs> yeah well um, uh, my oh Greg he's going to kill me um, but m- my boss Kelly Kolchak here at DreamWorks uh, is married to one of the writers on Spectacular Spider-Man hi um, Mr. Robinson thank you oh my god uh, um, and he's now you know, big story editor at, at Blizzard and doing really well. Um, so,
1: yeah, we had Andrew on a few months ago. He was great. <laughs>
0: He's such a nice guy. Such a nice guy. Definitely. Um, you know, in terms of that, uh, you know, going to school, film school, and and just keep plugging away at everything. I, I just had lunch with. Remember, I, I mentioned Steve Shabosky. Uh, had lunch with him and uh greg knows had lunch with one of the timers on spectacular spider-man randy ludensky we had lunch today and um we just had a little moment where steve was saying you know all this we went to school for various things um you know but just look around you know 20 years later and we're all many of us are kind of you know randy was a film major but he's doing timing on in animation david was a physics major and is now director of production at dreamworks animation uh but was also in the four corners of nowhere um you know steve went for screenwriting and is now a director and just it's all about effort and working hard day in and day out and um and and you get where you're supposed to be it's it's great I love my life.
1: And that is the best thing anyone can say. And I think <laughs> we should shoot a question to Greg on this one. This is obviously another holiday-themed episode, a Christmas episode. And um, as speaking as a New Yorker, born and raised in New York City, you captured Manhattan at Christmas time perfectly, especially there at – um at uh oh, God. Uh, I, I know the name of this place. I'm there all the time. Rockefeller Center. Rockefeller Center. Why am I blanking on this? Awful New Yorker, awful. <laughs> you gotta turn
2: your New Yorker card
1: back in there, Brashansky. Mm. Yes, I do. I mean NBC's right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's pretty bad there, right. It's right it's right next to, to the diamond exchange. I know I my father worked in that area, I had a booth. <laughs> oh dear.
0: I completely agree. The the falling snow uh, on Rockefeller Center in that episode, you feel it. You just you can feel the cold. There's nothing like a cold, brisk winter in New York City.
1: Not at all. And and I admit, when that tree comes down after Vulture and Electro do their thing, I actually kind of cringe watching that because I see that tree every winter. <laughs> so, but yeah, I really like how you brought that area to life. And um, and what what may, went to your decisions for this? Uh, lineup of the Sinister Six. I mean, obviously, we'll talk more about Doc Ock next, next time, but I really like the lineup here. I mean, also, Shocker's not there, and I was a little bit surprised the first time I watched this to see that he wasn't a, even considered, of course, looking back, of court, because obviously, he's in the big man's pocket. Right, so the
4: decision for who would Join up in the Master Planner's version of the Sinister Six was very much based on where each character was at, at that point in time. So we had uh, we had four of them who had been there already, which was uh, um, Vulture and Electro and uh, Sandman and Rhino, um, and they really fit Master Planner's whole idea of, you know, Crime as a science, and uh, and the rise of the super criminal, um, and Vulture and uh, Elector in particular were really allied with who we eventually reveal as the master planner. But that left us, you know, with with uh, a couple other characters that it didn't make sense for them to still be in the group. And one of them was uh, Shocker because he is clearly in the camp of uh, Tombstone. And the other was Doc Ock um, because uh, he is, you know, trying to recover or so we think. Uh, You know, I don't know how many spoilers we want to give away here uh, or whether it matters at all uh, at this stage. But, um, you know, uh, Ock had, the master planner had his reasons for, uh, not including Ock, and yet we do that sort of uh, fake out, where it seems like Ox being offered a position, and the master planner actually goes so far as to say, part way through the episode, that he was looking forward to inaugurating the Sinister Seven. Um, but you know that left two slots open, and of course we'd spent the previous two episodes introducing Mysterio and Craven, so and had even shown that Mysterio was working for Master Planner and shown that uh, Master Planner had sort of brought Craven indirectly to New York and at the end offers him uh, this opportunity to hunt and hunt as part of a pack. And um, so, you know, it was fun stuff for us.
2: Is this Master Planner story one of your favorites? Because it seems like any time you, you have like a top ten uh, Spider-Man list, this always shows up. Is it amongst your favorites there, Greg? And were you excited to adapt it this season?
4: Uh, the Master Planner arc as a whole or this specific episode?
2: or uh, As a whole. I know we could probably talk about it next episode, but I, I just thought about it now, so I thought I'd pop that question out. And then, of course, bring it over to Eric if he's if he remembers that story or has read that story.
4: Uh, well, for me, I, I love the Master Planner arc. I love what that allowed us to do both in terms of uh, visuals. Uh, you know, there's that great moment, and it's really next episode. We'll talk about it more um, and um, what it did for Pete's relationship with when I don't I don't really think in terms of, or I try not to think in terms of favorite episodes, not favorite episodes. They all feel a little bit like, you know, my kids. And uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I had a great time. You know, we really, you know, one of the challenges for this one is we've done the Sinister Six. How do we give this one a different flavor from what we did before um, so that it wasn't just a repeat with slightly different action beats, you know, what can we do to make this one feel fresh and new and not just like a repeat of uh, where we were, and I think we achieved it, I was pretty proud
1: of it. Yeah, and I enjoy the team, the uh, duos there. I especially liked Rhino and Sandman teaming up once more, and I have to say my favorite line in this episode, and I feel bad for saying that because Eric is here, and it's not a Craven line. It's actually a Rhino line. I think you know which one it is. He's out in the ice. He's about to – the ice is cracking, and he Spidey hands him the scuba gear, and Rhino just says to him, I hate you so much before he falls right into the East River. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean that was one of that was a great line that you know you kind of knew Clancy would knock out of the park, um, and uh, it was you know we have a lot of great lines in the show. Um, there's a, you know a bunch of good ones and and uh, but that is a favorite of mine that line.
2: Now um, I remember last time you had everybody in the recording studio when you did the Sinister Six episode. Was it the same way for this one? Yep. So yeah,
0: Eric, we were all in the booth.
2: So Eric, how, how was it like to be in the booth with all these guys this go around as opposed to?
0: <laughs> I just remember uh, being really happy that I wasn't the only one who, when you had to, you know, act out a combat scene or a, you know a, a move or a, I remember looking over and it was either Mysterio. I think it was Mysterio was. You know, shooting his hands out when he was do, casting the spell. You know, just the fact that we were all living these little, uh, living out the scenes in our in our in our heads and and bodies in the recording booth. It was it was a ball.
1: Yeah, I heard a lot of a lot of antics when I'm in the recording booth. I used to hear stories that when Peter McNichol would perform lines as Ox, some of the other actors would get behind him and pretend to be his tentacles. <laughs>
0: For me, for me personally, I, I'm completely serious. I, you know, would half imagine that when I was when I was acting with uh, Electro, that you know, my God, where, why aren't, why isn't electricity shooting out of his hands right now? Because he, he means it. He, it's, you know. the fantasy part of my my brain was just going nuts in terms of imagining what was actually shooting out of our hands and fingertips and eyes and God knows what else when we were when we were acting in the booth. Um, you know, my imagination just ran wild. It was a lot of fun.
2: It kind of reminds me of that. I don't know if any you guys seen this video of uh, of Hugh Jackman during the post production of Logan, and he's doing all the grunts and the running through the forest scenes, and, and you, you just he's just doing the 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 sounds for it. And you just see him acting it out and he's sitting there stabbing the air and you're imagining he's actually killing these people, you know, on on screen. Yep. Exactly. It's it's like, man, that's so much fun.
0: Hey, I, I can easily say that, that Craven is the, the most fun I've ever had as an actor because it completely appeals to my imagination and fantasy. I'm a, I'm a big role player. Uh, so you know those those saturday night games um you know it was very much like that where you're just acting out the the fantasy storytelling it's 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 so much fun so much
1: fun and I, and and like i said it it comes through in your performance i even saw that in person during that radio play you put a hell of a lot into it i mean craven's one of those characters that has almost always been well cast i think i mean i've had my favorites and not so favorite. So among Spider-Man casts over the course of the series, I think everyone in this show was practically perfect, and your craven was terrific, and your and he was also embodied by actors like uh, was it Greg Berger in the '90s show Zach?
2: I think you're correct on that one.
1: Yeah, Greg Berger or Michael Dorn in the MTV series, and I think Jim Cummins did him in the video game, but. He, but you, you all bring so much savagery to Craven and yet this nobility to him. And I'm going to be honest, in the comics, he's not one of my favorites, but you just bring so much to that role. You really bring him to life. You make him genuinely intimidating. And um, as we were talking about before the series, I could see this guy being the president of Russia. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs>
2: uh, maybe he was inspired by watching Spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need to wrestle more bears. Huh? More bears huh? <laughs> Let's play another hockey game where I score 17 goals. Exactly. <laughs> okay. uh, it's my only Vladimir Putin joke. I'm going to do this episode. <laughs> <laughs> the, the,
0: the genius of what the, the balance that I think Greg set with his villains is that um, they're all there's a purity to what they want. I mean, they're they're they're. They're big and they're cartoonish, so it's easy to grab onto as an actor. But their their desires, you know, what the characters want, is all absolutely just based in humanity and 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 and, and, and the everyman. And so there's you can you can just easily sink your teeth into it, and it doesn't slip into cartoon. Um it doesn't become bigger than life. It's, it's bigger than life because it's fantasy, but you know, Craven has at the start of the show, he or Kravinov, uh, can take down any big game. He's, he's the master hunter. And then with Spider-Man, it's the ultimate prey. Um, you know, finally a challenge worth of, worth of Kravinov. And, um, and then when he loses, he's freaking mad. He hasn't lost in years. Um, so he uh, turns to supernatural means and, um, um, and now it's a battle of equals. So, you know, that's just, that's just, that all of that is very, very human, despite, despite the skin that humanity was living in. Um, you know, I, I, again, I, that's, that's the genius of what, Our man, Mr. Weissman, brought to all of these characters.
1: Indeed, and I've always said this on all of his shows, all of your shows, Greg. Your villains are always delicious. I felt this way since Gargoyles, even on which they were pretty damn good. Spectacular Spider-Man. I mean, Young Justice. I mean, your your villains are second to none in animation, as far as I am concerned. And there's some stiff competition out there. I mean, I felt Avatar: The Last Airbender had some pretty delicious villains as well, but your villains are just a cut above and the other
4: you know it's always done like what would entertain me you know it's very selfish on one level <laughs> um, yep. you know what would be fun for me and uh and that's
1: always where I start because I just sort of figure if I'm passionate about it, then. Um... For the most part, I mean, there are occasionally some pickups work well as a team, whereas on other cartoons, when villains team up, they eventually get sick of each other and walk away. I mean, that happened in uh, the '90s show with the Insidious Six. They just kind of spat in Kingpin's face and went their separate ways. Zach, am I recalling that correctly?
2: Yeah, basically, uh, but they weren't the Sinister Six; they were the Insidious. Zach, you there? Yeah, you can hear. All right, Did sorry. We I, that? I, I, I uh, had it on mute. I had it on mute. Unfortunately, um, no. Uh, the this the, yeah, they basically went their separate ways with the Sinister Six, and and uh, of course, they weren't the Sinister Six. They were the Insidious Six. Because Sinister is apparently That's too.
1: Kind of... Yeah, I'm... yeah. Because well, someone on that show must have been left-handed and found it offensive. <laughs> I don't
2: know. <laughs> Uh, you'll have to ask John Zephyr on that one.
1: All right, but anyway, um, but I but I could see that here. Your your villains didn't just backstab each other. and manipulate them into turning against one another, and um, usually these big villain team up spiral shows. That's what happens.
4: Well, I mean, one of my pet peeves, which is that um, I want all the villains to have their own motivations. I think there's a um, a clear sense of that. <coughs> Excuse me, a clear sense of how they in the first Sinister Six episode, when they're all sitting around the table having um, dinner, being served by Mike Vogel, um, despite the fact that they all have their motivation, one of my pet peeves is this notion that um, the villains fall apart because they're so evil or so untrustworthy that they can't even ally with each other because, again, you, start, you have to start from the basis of you know, every character is a hero of his or her own story. Um, And so they don't walk into these things saying, I'm a villain, so you can't trust me, you know? I mean, no one... (laughs) You know, I'm not saying it it can't even be true in real life. I do think in real life it's certainly possible for two bad guys to team up and then turn on each other, without a doubt, but just as it's possible for two heroes to do that. But um, the fact of the matter is, is that I just feel like from a writing standpoint, that particular trope just drives me crazy because, you know, then because I rewatched the episode yesterday, last night, um, there's a moment where a robot on the second floor and then Craven not realizing it's the robot. Uh, but instead he shouts a warning to Craven, which tips Spider-Man off. Spider-Man, all that stuff. Um, and that's because you know you're not trying to blow up his own partner, and
2: he cares
4: because like Luther is bad, and Queen B is bad, and Rachel Ghul is bad, and Andal is bad, and Clarion is batshit crazy. Um, that by definition, this thing can't possibly last, and that's what we, Brand, and I talked about at the very beginning of season one of uh, when we were developing season one of Young Justice, and I just said that's the one thing. I just don't want to do. And so we just never did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one thing I, you know, just a few random observations about the episode um, since we're running low on time here. Um, I, I think there's a lot of fun with the master planner here, but I just wanted to point out when the show ended last night, I counted, uh, I went to the, you know, I paused on the two frames, the, the two different, title cards for the cast list or three if you count Josh's solo card for Spider-Man <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 19 actors in that episode 19 Wow. a standard animated show maybe has 6 per episode Yep. Um, so we had more than 3 times as many as most animated shows have anyway. and um, that was a big one even for us But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, it was, it's always this sort of luxury that I count on, but which, uh, you know, uh, this idea of being able to say, we've grown the universe, we've done this world building. Now we're in a situation where these are people we're going to see here. It doesn't make sense not to see them. And if we're going to see them, you know, I mean, I noticed that we see Rand and Sally on the ice, but they don't actually speak. Uh Um, But, you know, you see Kenny Kong speak and you see Liz and flash and Mary Jane and Gwen. And there's a little bit of Aunt May at the end and, and all this stuff. And that's on top of the fact that I've got, you know, six villains in the sinister six plus the master planner, um, plus Tinkerer, all this stuff. and, Sometimes I look at this stuff after the fact, and I'm like, I'm amazed they let me get away with this shit. They let me get away
0: with. <laughs> P- putting on my my producer hat for a moment, I, I absolutely remember when that script crossed our desk, and uh, we're like, how many actors? How are we going to pay for this? Uh, okay. <laughs> you know. Mean, meanwhile, the you know the other the conflict of interest part of me was also going, ooh, but I'm in this one. Clappity, clappity,
1: clappity. You know,
4: I'm not saying I counted on that, but you
1: know. <laughs>
2: nice.
1: <laughs> but he's not saying it either.
2: Uh, well, uh, it's a testament to, to the great production value, both the, guy, the producers and obviously the people that, that wrote the episodes. Did for this particular show because I mean it, it. just it's it's so uh, such a testament, and it's it, there's a reason it ends up on so high on so many lists, uh, and it's it's for things that you don't even realize, like having nineteen actors on one particular episode. So, um, one and that
0: thing. it's not window dress, right? I mean, they were all there a couple other things know,
2: part part of the episode. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah. There are a couple other
4: things I just want to point out, give credit where it's due. I, I think um, there's this wonderful... You know, the sequence in the in the department store is kind of my favorite. Um, I mean, there are a lot of little things that I like. I love um, Josh's burnt tongue through the first third of the episode. Oh, God,
1: <laughs> I was going to bring that up. I mean, uh, uh, I heard... Which I th- yeah, how I did you do that? Great.
4: <laughs> but um, the thing that I... I feel like at one point we Jamie actually had Josh literally hold on to his tongue while he was. That's my
0: memory too. Yeah, that's my memory.
4: Um, but the thing that just really strikes me about the the sequence in the department store and get a little there the, as the, a the, New Yorker, that's.
1: The, sorry, what? I said, Greg as a New Yorker, that's got to be Macy's. There's no other department store that could be. It's definitely Macy's. So.
4: Um, you know, it, it, you've got the, the perfume that smells like fish. Um, <laughs> like, well, it's called Poisson Cate and you're just sort of like, oh my God, if you speak French, it's like, that's horrible. Who would make a perfume like that? <laughs> um, but, but the thing that, and then you get to see, you know, Crusher, uh, uh, the, the wrestling guy, I'm blanking out on his last name. Uh, Crusher, Crusher Hogan. Uh, Crusher Hogan, yeah. As Santa Claus and Shashan as an elf. Um, before we really introduced Shashan very much in the show. I recognize um,
1: Shashan. I didn't realize that was Crusher.
4: Yeah, well, you know, he's wearing the Santa Claus beard, so I get why you didn't recognize him. But he's got that mustache and... Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was Crusher Hogan, the wrestling gig, since he lost, uh, Spider-Man isn't paying the way it used to. So he's uh, doing the Santa Claus thing. <laughs> but the thing that really, the thing that I really love is what, um, we did with the music in that episode, which is, um, in that sequence, you have his source music, um, Nutcracker playing and, so, you know, our great composers, uh, dynamic music partners, um, Christopher Carter, Michael McQuiston, Lola the um, you know, compose all the music for the show, but in this case, it's like, no, we're going to use this as source, and yet they still find a way to make that source music play as scoring, and the counterpoint nature of it is just so much fun to me. It's something that gave us the confidence to later do the opera episode later in the season
1: because mm.
4: we knew it would work. And then there's also the sort of fun you got deck the halls as sort of playing over the closing credits. You know, that just little things that we did to give as much as possible little extra value here and there throughout um, the show. And then, you know, Great lines of dialogue, like Spider-Man turning to Santa and going, "I hope those two are going on your naughty list," or the premature glotilation line that I'm still amazed we got away.
2: <laughs> 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 There's a lot of a lot of those that got you're still amazed that got through there, Mr., Mr. Wiseman. So, which just makes it even better. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've
4: had this discussion before. It's all about making a it actually a double entendre. What right? wouldn't People throw things in and they go, the line got cut. And I'm like, oh, well, what was it? And they tell me, and I'm like, okay, you, you got to understand, there's no double entendre there. You've only got the entendre. You know what I mean? Uh, there's no other interpretation except the dirty one. So, of right. course, it got cut. Um, and the trick to a line like, you know, premature gloatulation is that it, the setup to it is... Uh, Mysterio saying to Spider-Man, it's a little soon for you to gloat, Uh, and and Spider-Man goes, well, you're the expert on premature gloatilation, and we've been talking about gloating, so there's the absolutely kid-friendly, clean interpretation of that, but still, I I always worry that it won't go through, but... um, you know, it it plays out. It's
1: fun. I love that line. I cracked up laughing. There were some I've heard that it's the same as when I heard most of Black Cat's dialogue, but such great lines. And in the sense, you really brought Christmas in New York to life, and that really felt like Macy's in the city. And by the way, my mom once saw that episode. She used to work at Macy's in Manhattan, and uh, she hated that job. So she took some smug satisfaction in watching Spidey and some supervillains just trash the hell out of the place. <laughs> It was a very bad experience so, for her there. <laughs> Eric, I'm running low on time, so we
4: want to bring in your uh, special guest?
0: Sure. Um, let, let me go grab him, okay?
2: All right.
0: Yeah. T- I'll, I'm going to mute
2: right now. Yeah. So, uh, to fill the air, um, Eric has a very special guest he's wanting to bring on to the program to ask what everybody al- always has wanted to ask, which is Five random questions for Greg Wiseman, <laughs> right? Right, Greg, is this is that what's going on? That's what I hear. All right. So um, that sounds like, of course, you know, I we have the honor and privilege of getting to ask you more than five questions, you know, every time we get to record. So, uh, but I, well, while we while we're waiting, I do want to congratulate you on uh, on the Young Justice um, renewal. I haven't got a chance to do it personally, so congratulations
4: thank you it's been We've been having a great time. It's very exciting and kind of surreal um just uh every time we start a new phase of pre-production or every time you know someone comes back uh, you know it it's like the whole experience all over again. We just can't you know you get in the midst of it and it feels like it is a job but it on this particular thing just the wonder of us coming back at all it is so amazing
1: well samurai jack came back Invader Zim is coming back young justice is coming back i hope this is a trend that continues with some more of your shows greg
4: i wouldn't mind
1: <coughs> <Hi. laughs> yes uh, eric you're back. <laughs> back i am sorry
4: sorry
0: about that I, I disconnected for a second so i'd like to introduce um Blake Munson, um, he's a storyboard revisionist over here at DreamWorks on uh, my new show, Spirit Riding Free, which just released on Netflix. I'm going to throw a plug in. Uh, any of you listeners out there who have uh, daughters between the ages of 5 and 11, uh, the show is really wonderful. I'm, uh, I am I have a daughter who's 5, and um, the show has so much heart. You'll love it. Please share it with your daughters. Spirit Riding Free on Netflix. All right. Anyway, Blake Blake here uh, is a storyboard revisionist on the show. Um, this is your first professional gig.
3: Um, how old were you when Spectacular Spider-Man came out? Uh, uh, I believe I was about 20, because I was a sophomore in college. You've told me on a number of occasions that Spectacular
0: Spider-Man is your favorite animated program of all time. <laughs> And you are the biggest Spider-Man uh, <laughs> fan that I know, so uh, I asked you to come in today and um, bring five questions you've always wanted to ask Greg Weissman. So
3: Do I still have five questions because I know you guys are running over three thirty. Do I still have five? Greg will cut you off when he when okay. when he needs to go. So okay, all right, just go for it. Okay, thanks. Well, first of all, it's a really an honor to meet you uh, through uh, telephone. Um, and uh, I just caught the tail end of that last conversation you guys were having before we reconnected. Um, is Did I hear that you guys are planning on rebooting Spectacular Spider-Man? Did I hear that correctly?
2: No, 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 no. We're talking about the return of Young Justice. I was... Uh,
3: okay, okay, yeah. okay. Sorry. Okay. All right, my first question. What would you say would be the um, most proud... Uh, thing you are, what, what, would, what would you be the most proud of for the spectacular Spider-Man? What would you say would be the biggest accomplishment that the spectacular Spider-Man has succeeded in?
4: Uh, I, I don't know exactly. I mean, uh, you know, what we tried to do was get to the heart and core of who Peter was, who Spider-Man was uh, when he began as a teenager and then try and then do that um, with every other character, whether they were a a villain or a supporting character, and try and get to the core of each of these characters, and in particular how the core of their relationship with either Peter or Spider-Man or both. Um, And I'm proud of that uh, to a great degree because I think we accomplished something that sort of creates well, this sounds arrogant, but I feel that way, sort of the classic version of Spider-Man. I feel like there have been a lot of Spider-Man cartoons, and they've all been sort of their version. And what we tried to do was to get down to the heart of what Stan and Steve and later John Romita Sr. created, um, and, and other creators too, of course, but really get to the core of who these characters were what made them so appealing and attractive to us as fans in the first place. Um, and we took it from there.
3: Great. Well, I totally felt the heart in the show. I can tell you that. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Um, okay. My next question, um, what would you have, what would you have liked to see in future seasons? If it carried on to, well,
4: uh, you know, I, uh, I make it a policy, uh, having learned hard lessons over the years, particularly on gargoyles, um, not to spoil stuff. Um, and hmm. people say, well, why not? If the show's over, what do you care? And, and, um, and right now I am doing season three of young justice after a five year hiatus. And I'm like, well, because things come back. <laughs> um, but the other reason I don't like to talk about that stuff is because, um, ideas minus their execution Mm -hmm. don't sound as cool. Um, And so oftentimes, particularly on that Internet thing that I've heard about, um, (laughs) they're subject to a lot of second-guessing, third-guessing, fourth-guessing, and I just don't need that. Um, So I'm not going to tell too much other than what I've already revealed and or what was obvious from uh, what we did do in the first two seasons. Um, You know, we... Plan, we t- we mentioned Mac Gargan, so we clearly planned on doing Scorpion. We yeah. uh, showed Cletus Cassidy, so we clearly had a plan for Cletus. Um, we uh, showed, uh, I'm blanking out on the character's name, but the character who eventually becomes Hydra-Man. So there were certain villains that we were laying the groundwork for for Season 3, and that would have also included Hobgoblin, Uh, Our take on Hobgoblin, which I think would have been unique and very cool. Um, And uh, obviously, you know, we killed off, quote-unquote, Norman Osborn, uh, but Mr. Roman took a plane to Barbados or wherever, I forget. Um, So clearly, down the road, Mr. Roman was going to surface once again. And, um, And so some of those plans... I think are fairly obvious and, or I've mentioned them before. Um, and you know, obviously we were setting up a love triangle between, um, Harry and Gwen and Peter. Um, and we would have continued exploring that. So again, things that are sort of obvious from where we left things, I, I, I don't mind mentioning, but I don't want to go into a lot of detail because you know, I think of all the shows I've done, the least likely to come back is Spectacular Spider-Man because of the unique nature of the business side of it between Sony, Marvel, and now, of course, Disney being in the mix. Um, It seems almost impossible for that one to come back. Uh, And yet, you never know because, frankly, I never thought, uh, maybe a year ago I thought it was possible, but... If you had asked me even three years ago whether I thought Young Justice would ever come back, um, I, I I might have said maybe, but the answer truly was I doubt it. Um, so I doubt it for Speck Spidey, but you never know, so I tend to keep that stuff to myself.
3: Okay. Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> um, okay. <Definitely. laughs> Which character from the Marvel Universe would you have- would you have most liked to see, make an appearance? If I know the rights were kind of all over the place for character usage, but um, was there a specific character from the Marvel Universe that you would have liked to see featured in Spectacular Spider-Man?
4: I mean, the short answer is all of them, but uh, over time. We didn't ever want it to be like guest star of the week, mm-hmm. but um, Two characters that we very much wanted to use and had planned on using and then we're told we couldn't use, um, one was Kingpin um, and the other was the Human Torch because the relationship between Johnny Storm and, uh, and Spider-Man, I think, again, was so uh, intrinsic to the early years of uh, Spider-Man comics and Fantastic Four comics. So, we had our vision of what the spectacular universe version of the Marvel Universe was. And this I've mentioned a couple times before. In our view, the Fantastic Four existed, but they were sort of a whole level above Spider Man. They're fighting big cosmic threats. Um, the Avengers didn't exist yet, but Captain America obviously fought in World War II. Uh, from our point of view, Captain America was still on ice. Iron Man hadn't gone to Vietnam yet, or Tony Stark hadn't gone to Vietnam yet. Um, Don Blake hadn't taken his vacation to Norway. But Ant-Man was around, um, and the Hulk was leaping around the Southwest, thought by most people to be an urban uh, a sort of myth, a legend. Uh, there are very few people who objectively knew the Hulk was real and over time there were things that we did we wanted to sort of slowly explore more facets of the marvel universe um but we always wanted it to stay a spider-man show it was never going to be you know brave and the bold like you know batman and plastic man batman and green arrow batman we never wanted to do that but if i could have in season one i wanted to uh, use Human Torch, um, and I did have an idea that part of Spider-Man's inspiration for being putting on a mask and being a hero was Captain America. That up in the attic of the house was Uncle Ben's old collection of Captain America memorabilia. That that when Pete was little. Pete and uncle Ben would go up to the attic and they'd spend hours looking through all this old world war two era, captain America memorabilia so that captain America meant something to Spider-Man, not so much personally, but because he knew it meant so much to the young Ben Parker. Um, and so that captain America in essence, hopefully would have eventually showed up so that Peter could, Sort of hero worship him in proxy, and part of that comes right out of my life. Um, and again, Gargoyles fans may know this, but my one of my dad's big heroes um, was Sir Douglas Bader, who was a actual person. He was a uh, fought in the Battle of Britain, and he was a, a, a RAF pilot. And um, I got to meet. Douglas Botter before he passed away, and it was a really special thing for me. Again, I didn't have a particular connection to him, but because he was such a hero to my father, it meant a lot to me to meet him. So that was something I definitely would have liked to have done at some point. And also just because it would have been so impossible, I would have loved to do a Hulk um, story.
3: That's awesome. I think that uh, that uh, Uncle Ben, Captain America connection was. It sounds really brilliant, and I wish I could have seen that. But uh, it, um,
0: it, it's real for me, though. Though I'll say that you know it. it you just
1: added a, yet another layer to the show for me. So. <laughs> Fantastic. It's real to me too now.
2: <laughs> well, it has actual They actually kind of did something similar in the comics um, back in the '90s where Captain America had both comics, and Uncle Ben gave them to Peter, and Peter was in his room just like us, you know, reading those old uh, Captain America comics from the 40s, so... Nice. Nice. Cool.
3: Okay, well... I'll make this my last question. Um, Okay, out of all the Spider-Man movies, who do you prefer? Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, or Tom Holland, even though his solo Spider-Man movie hasn't been released yet?
4: Um, I Honestly, I really liked all three at different times. I mean, um, I thought that Tobey Maguire uh, was great in the first two movies and thought um, kind of awful in the third one and I can't really blame him for that. I mean, there were choices made on that third movie that um, were, from my point of view, a little mind-boggling um, and because he had done such a good job in the first two. It was clearly, you know, a combination, I'm sure, of writing, directing, and maybe some acting choices on his part, but I, um, you know, I was totally buying him as Peter Parker in the first two movies. Um, I thought uh, Andrew Garfield did a good job in, in the one movie that I saw. I didn't see the second Garfield film. And obviously it's sort of premature to say now, but, you know, I thought Spider-Man was a hell of a lot of fun in Civil War um, for the, whatever, four and a half minutes he was on screen. And I certainly have no complaints about him. So I'm good with all three of them. I mean, look, uh, from an acting standpoint, Spider-Man will always be Josh Keaton to me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and Josh is a guy who, from my point of view, could have played Spidey and and Peter in live action. Um, And and so I, I get that and I'm uh, and I get, uh, but I, I, there've been a lot of guys who've done a pretty good job at um, playing Spider-Man going back to frankly, the Ralph Bakshi show in the sixties, which is for me just the way spectacular is for a lot of people. And I'm sure nowadays ultimate is for a lot of people, you know, Growing up, the 60s Baxi show, that was my Spider-Man show. And so, you know, I can look back and listen to it and go, eh, I'm not sure that's the greatest Peter Parker I've ever heard. But back in the day, that was my Peter Parker. So I i, I, uh, I don't think there's any one right or wrong way to do it. Um, certainly from an acting standpoint, I i obviously have stronger opinions from a writing standpoint about how the characters portrayed, but, um, but they were all pretty good. But if I had to pick one,
3: I'd pick Josh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sure he would appreciate that right.
3: too. Mm. Yeah. That was, um, well, I,
4: and it, you know, and it, it, it sounds self-serving, but it's less self-serving than just selfish. I mean, you yeah. know, Josh did such great work for us, um, that, uh, you know, uh, and I like to think, yeah, we wrote great scripts and it animated well and all sorts of great things that lots of people contributed, but none of that works if Josh isn't mm-hmm. the guy. And he was the guy, and uh, and so uh, I just feel like so knows the soul of Peter Parker. Um,
3: you know, he's my guy. Yeah. Well, on that note, I got to say that your show, The Spectacular Spider-Man, has brought me more joy than all the movies that have been made so far. So I, I feel that your show has done the character justice the way it's supposed to be done.
4: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and, you know, I, I want to say also, I mean, I, I loved working with Eric on the show, but, you know, I feel the same way about his craving. You know, I, I yeah. heard a lot of craving over the years, and um, and none of them feel right to me anymore. It's always always Eric Vested is my Craven. Well,
2: I'll tell you. Thank
1: you. you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'll tell you yeah. when, if they ever do a uh, an animated version of Craven's Last Hunt, uh, I, I definitely would like to see Eric uh, take a crack, at, and of course Greg writing the uh, adaptation.
1: Definitely. I, yes. I uh,
0: I like that idea. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> Uh,
4: i'm in
2: all right we got eric in
1: <laughs> marvel are you listening all right,
4: guys i i apologize but i really got to go i've got a uh a, a young justice meeting i got to run off to uh in about eight minutes and i've got to take five minutes or so to prepare for it so um uh i've had a great time eric uh like nice to meet you uh yeah, eric great to be on the phone with you but, you know, we don't actually work that far apart. We should have lunch sometime. <laughs> um, I totally yeah, agree. We'll, we'll grab Wilcox, and the three of us will go hang out for an hour or so. But, uh, I, would, I would love and, that, Greg.
0: It's great to reconnect.
4: Yeah. And uh, Zach and Greg thanks as always, and I apologize I'm running off now, but I really got to run. Thank
1: you got a great you. excuse. You're making great television. <laughs> Thank you. For you got keep going, though. We will. Thanks, we will. Greg. Thank, Thank you so much, Greg. <laughs>
4: You're welcome. Ha- have a great rest of the podcast. I'll I'll talk to you guys later.
1: All righty. Bye. Good on. Definitely. And and All since right. it seems we're about to wrap things up, I mean, usually when we're when we come to end, we ask our guests what they're currently working on. Greg isn't here, so I'll just say, go out and buy his books, Reign of the Ghosts and Spirits of Ash and Foam" on <laughs> Amazon.com.
2: There you go. We've already talked a little bit about Young Justice, but uh, Eric, tell us what you're doing.
0: Um, so I'm, I'm here at DreamWorks. I've been here for about three works, three years. Uh, DreamWorks started a television studio, uh, just a little over three years ago. And I, I got in on the ground floor. Um, uh, since I've been here, I started a little show called, I started, I was the first line producer on a little show called, uh, Voltron may have heard of it. Um,
1: (laughs) maybe, um, yeah, was I've been watching reboot. that. It's, I've been watching that. It's a very good show. Josh Keaton's in that, also. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. So I helped get that show off the ground, um, and was part of the first three episodes before uh, my show, uh, Spirit, started. Um, and I've been on Spirit writing free for several years now. Uh, it's again to to all of you listeners out there who gravitate to Greg's writing because it's all about human connection. Um, again, the writing, the writing on spirit, it's, it's got a hell of a lot of heart. Um, it's just honest, uh, young girls growing up in the frontier. Um, it's their relationship with, with family and friends and the trials and tribulations of being a, a, a young girl growing up. And then on top of that, going out on adventures on, on their horses and, uh, you know, saving the town from floods and earthquakes and all that good stuff. Um, uh, and then I'm also working on a, a another show uh, that's going to air probably in the fall. Um, but it's an 11 minute silly, uh, silly comic cartoon that um, I can't really say much more about. All right.
2: Well, we'll be uh, we'll be keeping an eye out for it, and when, uh, and we'll promote it over on com. Uh, definitely. So whenever it gets, it gets. Uh, we get a little more information about it, because uh, we appreciate you taking your time uh, to talk with us for this particular episode. So, Greg, uh, this was
0: this was great, guys. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, oh, definitely. I, and, and thank you for bringing your special guest on. It was it was nice to to, to hear him uh, ask get to ask the questions that uh, he's always wanted to ask, Mr. Weisman So, we're, yeah, thank you, guys. you. I and appreciate
1: it. Was, it. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, definitely definitely an honor and, and thank you for coming on and Eric thank you very much for coming on also it was a pleasure to converse with you again uh,
0: I I look forward to the next convention when uh, we get to do another live action spectacular script
2: oh, oh. Mashansky M- 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 has told me that I have to I have to move heaven and earth to get to the, the whenever the next one is so um, I, I hope to get to meet uh, you Eric uh, in, in person that, during that time
1: I look forward to it. Yeah, he's done a couple more since then. They're really fun stuff. He, he's thrown Young Justice into the mix also, so now it's a crossover between all three shows. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Always well, thanks Thanks for keeping this show alive, guys. We really appreciate it. Thank you for making it and being a part of it, Mr. Vesbit. My It's an
2: absolute pleasure as well.
1: An honor On and a pleasure. Note.
2: On that note, have a thanks. great day. All right. A, you, sir. No,
0: I'm sorry. Uh, on that note, have a spectacular day. <laughs> thank
1: you. <laughs> you too, Mr. Vesbitt. Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> All, right.
1: All right, fellas. Have a great one.
2: Uh, you too.
4: premature glotilation.